0: When the genocide started, when the, uh, the, the majority of the Hutus were going, killing the Tutsis, my family was a part of the Tutsi tribe, so that's why we're being killed.
1: Alex Sinjimana was only about six years old at the time of the Rwandan genocide in 1994. But it's an experience he's likely never to forget.
0: I remember just uh, sleeping and falling to the ground and this noise just whizzing by my head and I happened to realize that that noise had whizzed by my head because I slipped and fell. That noise was a bullet and missed my head just by an inch because I had slipped in a cow pie.
2: Little hands, shoeless feet, lonely eyes looking back at me. Will we leave behind the innocent to grieve?
1: You heard Alex right. God used manure to save his life. We're honored to have Alex Sinjimana as our guest on this episode of GPS, God, People, Stories.
3: I'm Jim Kirkland. And I'm Phil Fleischman. Today, Alex Sanjimana lives in the United States, and he works for our sister ministry, Operation Christmas Child. He recently shared his story with the staff here at the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, and that is what we are going to share with you on this episode of GPS. And after we hear Alex's
1: story, we're going to share some comments Franklin Graham made while the Rwandan genocide was still going on. He was part of a Samaritan's Purse team that was caring for people during the violence.
4: You'd go through villages. There was no people, not even a chicken, not even a goat, not even a bird. The villages were there. The people were gone.
3: But God was there, and God is with you no matter what you're going through. If you'd like to know more, visit this website, findpeacewithgod.net. That's findpeacewithgod.net.
0: God, people, stories.
3: Rwanda, a small country in Central Africa, where Alex Senjimana was born.
0: And as a little boy, I never knew uh, who my father was, and I uh, was—I had a great relationship with my grandmother uh, because my mother had passed away due to HIV/AIDS when I was very little. So I never got a chance to know my uh, my mother. But as growing up and with my grandmother, just uh, that connection and that love. At a point when that relationship was continuing to even grow, um, that's when a tragedy a tragedy took place in the country of Rwanda, and that's the Rwandan genocide.
3: The Rwandan genocide lasted about a hundred days, from April 7th to mid July of 1994. In that span of time, hundreds of thousands of Rwandans were murdered. Some observers put the death toll at 500,000, some at 800,000, some at more than a million.
1: While the exact number of dead may not be known, what is known is that the vast majority of those killed belong to the Tutsi tribe. And those doing the killing belong to the Hutu tribe.
0: When the genocide started, when the, uh, the, the majority of the Hutus were going killing the Tutsis, my family was a part of the Tutsi tribe, so that's why we're being killed. And I remember one morning on April 7th when we woke up and we would hear these uh, noises from a distance and we didn't know what the noises were. And it, um, our neighbor came to us and told us, hey, the president of Rwanda was assassinated last night. Do not leave the house because Tutsis are being killed everywhere. And I, as, um, as my grandmother hears this, she wonders what would happen of the whole family. So she told us to hide. And we hid for that morning And it was late afternoon, we came back to our house and we were attacked by militias and they told us to go uh, outside and lie down. And that's when they would uh, would take my grandmother's life. And these militias would come back later uh, looking for my uncle. But they would leave, they searched all over the house and they couldn't find him. But it was uh, three days later, they came back and they said, he's under the bed, let him get out. And that's when uh, he would come out and they would ask for his identity card. And at the age of 18 and older, you had to have this identity card, and this identity card said, "What tribe you were." And of course, there was no question. they would also take his life. As a six-year-old, just watching this happen, you're just, we, we were wondering, why in the world would a neighbor who we knew by name, a neighbor who we went to school, we went to school with their kids, and a neighbor who we loved, actually? would all of a sudden turn their backs on us. And so we're just, uh, we're just lost.
1: When Alex says, we're just lost, he's referring to his brother and sister and himself. They fled their home and went to stay with an aunt in a nearby city. But they weren't safe there either. And they ended up on the run for about two months.
0: And while we are running, there were many incidences that were happening that we could have lost our lives. And I remember one specific moment when uh, I was running, about 2,000 people running. And we ran and we we heard these noises and we're being uh, literally shot from all directions. And I remember just uh, slipping and falling to the ground and this noise just whizzing by my head. And I happened to realize that that noise had whizzed by my head because I slipped and fell. That noise was a bullet and missed my head just by an inch because I had slipped in a cow pie. Um, I don't know about you, but there's nothing glamorous about a cow pie. Um, uh, but that's what God used to save my life. So I look, in that moment, I didn't know, I, know, I didn't have a relationship with him. I didn't, have a, I didn't have that understanding. And so when I look back and realize what a powerful God we serve, a God who works in mysterious ways and a God who works in gross ways. Uh, which Sometimes we don't want to like to see the gross part, that he works, but he, he does. And so at the end of this war, that's when I was put in an orphanage by, my, that, by that aunt who I was living with. Her and her husband passed away not too long after the war. And so, why went this orphanage with 250 other kids, all of us recalling everything? Now that we're not running physically, our minds were running, and we're starting to process everything that we had gone through. And with that came post traumatic stress. In the night, it was so scary to go to bed because a lot of the kids were just screaming out of, um, out of the scaredness and out of nightmares they were having.
2: Left down lonely now, staring out into the crowd, wondering will a daddy arrive. Every heart everywhere needs a hand to hold them when they're scared in the darkest night.
3: While Alex was living at the orphanage, the Ministry Samaritan's Purse delivered Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes to all the children. One of Alex's favorite items in his box was a hair comb. He says he carried it with him everywhere he went. His box also contained a story about Jesus, just like every other Operation Christmas Child shoebox does. The orphanage director used those stories to
1: help Alex and the other children learn more about Jesus. A year later, Alex joined a traveling children's choir, and his interest in Jesus began to grow.
0: I was in Uganda learning English, and I remember uh, just so hungry for, uh, you know, for God's word, but I didn't understand much English, and I was just trying to translate a lot of the the message, and I was just bitter and angry towards the people who did this to my family. And I was starting to ask God, why me? Why did I survive the genocide? And why am I special than any of the kids who didn't make it through the war? If you loved me very much, why would you watch while my grandmother and my uncle are being taken away from me? How can you stand and watch... While a million of your children are being killed, how can that be? And I was just so lost and I was blaming him for everything that happened in my life. And in me blaming him, I missed out on seeing the miracles that he actually did.
3: But Alex's eyes were opened as he read the Bible. He discovered that the ancient Israelites often complained about God instead of thanking him for the miracles he had performed for them.
0: I looked at my own life and I realized that's exactly what I was about to do. Actually, I was doing it already. I blamed him and I missed out on the miracle that when I was born, I could have gotten the virus that my, my mother had, HIV AIDS. But I didn't. When my grandmother and my uncle were both taken away from me, the distance were from that piano to where I was, to where I am. There was no end war to shelter me from everything. They had no reason to spare our whole family. They knew that all of us were tootsies. Then from the time I was running and sleeping on a cow pie, just a split second, I could have lost my life. Then when, I was, uh, when a man's weapon didn't load, when he went to pull the trigger, and his magazine fell out of the gun. Miracles after miracles that, that happened, and for the very first time, I saw God's presence that was with me. And one of those miracles, being in an orphanage, receiving a gift from a stranger, for the very first time, I saw God's presence in my life that I could never ignore that. And that's when I gave my life to the Lord. But in the following years we were full of that anger because everything that was in my heart was not, was not what was in his heart. Everything was in my heart was bitterness, anger, and rage because I wanted to pay. I wanted those people to pay for what they did.
1: Thanks to people who shared the love of Christ with Alex, he was eventually able to let go of his rage and desire for vengeance. In fact, the day would come when Alex decided he wanted to meet the men who had killed his uncle and grandmother. It happened in 2013.
0: That's when we went back to Rwanda with Operation Christmas Child, and we we're putting that um, um, in my testimony into a video form. And I was just, we were just in Rwanda uh, to, to, do this, to do this video, and I wanted to find out where those people are. So I went, I went out, this was not planned at all, and I went out to the prison and found out that the man who had killed my grandmother flee, but the man who had killed my uncle is still in the prison. And so we went to the prison and were able to be with him and sit next to him and um, asking him, share with me the other side of the story. And remember how challenging that was, to be able to hear the other side. But also, it was just a, a moment that I will never forget, a healing moment that I will never forget. And so as I shared with him uh, why I was there, I wasn't there to accuse him, but I was there to share with him the love of Jesus Christ that was shared with me. And so it was the toughest day of my life but the most healing day of my life that I will never forget.
2: So I'll tear my
1: The man who killed Alex's uncle wept as he welcomed Alex with open arms. And Alex was able to pray with him. Alex's story is a reminder that there is no end to what God can do in someone's life. And that includes your life. Would you like to learn more? Visit us at findpeacewithgod.net. That's findpeacewithgod.net.
2: Because if you can love, then so can I.
3: After Alex shared his story with us here at the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, he issued a challenge to us. Hear what that challenge was in just a minute. You're listening to GPS, God, People, Stories, a podcast production of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association.
4: You'd go through villages. There was no people, not even a chicken, not even a goat, not even a bird. The villages were there. The people were gone.
3: Franklin Graham, 1994, after returning from Rwanda to help set up medical and spiritual care for victims of the genocide.
4: They need doctors, they need nurses, they need food, medicine. They need all of those things. But what Rwanda needs more than anything else is they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. These people have suffered. These people have been butchered. But there needs to be healing in this country because there are hundreds of thousands of people that are guilty of murder, that have the blood of their neighbor on their hands. And those people need to be forgiven. And my friends, God will forgive them if they're willing to come to Him through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ is God's Son who died on a cross for our sins, and if we're willing to confess our sins and turn from our sins and by faith receive Christ into our heart, God will forgive us. And tonight, my friends, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I pray tonight that you'll give your heart to Him.
3: And now, back to the hosts of GPS, Phil Fleischman and Jim Kirkland.
1: Our guest on this episode of GPS has been Alex Sinjamana. He shared how God had led him to forgive the people who killed his friends and family Then he issued this challenge. Think of that person who has caused you the most pain.
0: That person is loved by Jesus Christ just as much as you're loved. God doesn't love you more. God doesn't love them in less, just the same. And I hope and pray that you can be encouraged knowing that when he hung on the cross, he didn't do it just for you. He did for that person also. I'm not here to say I'm better than you guys. My journey is ongoing. And I'm asking you to join me on this journey of living the freedom that Jesus Christ offered. And that freedom is being free of the bondage of unforgiveness and bitterness.
1: We're so grateful that Alex shared his difficult, powerful, and God-glorifying story with us. And we are doubly grateful that we could share it with you.
3: I'm Jim Kirkland. And I'm Phil Fleischman. Also, a big thank you goes out to Audio Adrenaline. We used some of their music on this episode of GPS, God, People, Stories. It's an outreach of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Always good news. So I'll
2: tear my fences down and build my bridges up Because of you i found that grace is enough I'm learning how to live by laying down my pride Because if you can't love, then so can I